0: Alright guys, Um, welcome back to another episode of the Smithbrook & Co. podcast. Um, I'm going to turn myself up a little bit just because there we go. There we go. Okay. Um, As you can see for the people who watch the videos, um, it's just me today. It's just Michael. Um, Tennessee has been placed on the quarantine. Um, was supposed to be till April the fourteenth, um, but to my understanding, they've extended that until the thirtieth. So we'll see where we go from there. Um, but yeah, um, so today is going to be a very different episode. Okay, and I'm going to warn you if you're easily. I don't even know how to word this. Um, If you have a problem with cancer talk, skip this episode. Because that's what we're going to be talking about. Um, So, there was an episode, um, I believe it was the episode, A Wallop Dollop of Seriousness, where... I briefly very briefly touched on what happened to my dad Um, here's the thing Um, everything that happened with dad um, the end game of everything is coming up next month in May so um, I figured That I would tell the full story let just air everything out Um, as you've probably noticed there's no sponsor segment on this one I don't want a sponsor segment on this one this one is just me talking to you guys so um, you can't quite see the board fully The topic of the day is cancer sucks and we are diving into that subject so um, I do just want to stress one more time if you have went through this and you are very sensitive to this topic don't listen and or watch this episode because I'm getting graphic and I'm, I'm getting very truthful on everything that happened. I don't know why I feel the need to do this. I just do. So, um, without further ado, I'm changing something on my laptop real quick. There we go. And we're jumping right into this from the start. And it's not even going to start when my dad had cancer. Um, so as most 18 year olds, um, I felt like I had life by the balls. I thought I knew everything. I thought I had everything figured out where I wanted to go in life. Nobody could tell me anything. Um, you know, right or wrong. I was right in my mind. Um, and this is where my dad and I kind of, But it heads a lot. A big reason being is, responsibly, dad wanted me to get a job. Wanted me to get out and experience things, you know, have money, have bills, know how to manage those. And of course, me being an 18-year-old dickhead was like, no, dad, you don't know what you're talking about. So, like, I'm moving out, and I'm uh, going to live with my girlfriend. And you know what, Dad? I may have to work at a warehouse for a little bit, but I'm gonna, like, make it huge in music. (laughs) Yeah, you see where that landed me, right? (laughs) Yeah, I didn't make it huge in music for the record. But that's a different story for a different time. There's, like, a huge scam in that. So, we'll get further into detail on that. I'm gonna adjust my hood there we go. I don't think that helped anything. Good God, that made everything worse. Okay. So, at 18 years old, I made the mistake of moving in with my 17-year-old girlfriend. Um, first of all, I want to clear something up. I know how that sounds. Okay? Um, I do not, obviously, do not blame the chick that I was with at the time yeah she had some influence on it but guess what she was 17 I was 18 both of us were dickheads and I'm sorry when you're 18 years old more than likely at that point and this doesn't apply for everyone obviously but more than likely you're a dickhead because every 18 year old has that point of view you know, I have plenty of time with this person. I have plenty of time with that person. I'm going to do what I need to do. Screw everybody else. And I'm right about everything. Literally about everything. So, yeah, that's the mentality that I had. And if you didn't have that mentality when you're 18 year old, like blah, 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 if I can talk 18 years old, that's great. Seriously, great on you. If you had a square head on your shoulders and you did everything that you needed to do and you succeeded in life, freaking amazing. That's amazing on your end. Because not too many people do that. Seriously. Um, But I wasn't like that. I believed that I didn't need a job. I believed I didn't need college. I believed I didn't need advice from my parents. Because I knew what I wanted to do. Like from the time I I hit my freshman year in high school and I picked up a bass guitar for the first time and then I moved to acoustic and then I moved to electric and then I started doing lead guitar and then I started singing and I was in this really profitable band I say profitable very loosely for the record we got scammed oh my god we got scammed (laughs) but that's the way things turn out Um, so yeah I was 18 I moved out Right there I missed a year with my dad. Okay? I missed a year with my dad. A dad that was loving. A dad that was caring. A dad that was a bit over stern at times. And every parent messes up, man. I don't care what anyone says. Every parent messes up. I'm not a parent. Okay, this is obviously from the past episodes. I don't even want to freaking bring up past episode bullshit because you guys don't care. You've already listened to it. Okay? Every parent messes up. I've been a step parent. I've messed up. I've never been a real parent. Guarantee you, if I, if I had the ability to be a real parent, I would have messed up long before now. My issue with my dad was we had the same attitude. My dad believed he knew everything. So did I. My dad believed that no one should get in his face and contradict him. So did I. The big difference between me and my dad was is that I knew when to stop. I knew when to to admit. If I could talk right now, that'd be great. (laughs) Anyway, I knew when to admit that I was wrong. Dad did not have that filter. And yes, this is a wood burning of my dad that I did very poorly because I was just apprenticing to be a tattoo artist at that point point. <laughs> and no, I'm not a tattoo artist now so don't hit me up for tattoos, thank you <laughs> but, yeah there were things that my dad said to me I would rather him punch me straight through the face than say some of the stuff that he said to me but that story goes both ways I can admit when I'm wrong I said stuff to my dad that I should not have said, but I said a lot of stuff that I was justified in as well. Sorry, not sorry. Not every story has a um, you know 100 percent you know completely innocent victim, and not like I say victim very loosely. I wasn't a victim to my dad. My dad wasn't a victim to me. I was a dickhead. He was hard-headed. That doesn't mix, at all. But, I started realizing how much I missed my dad when I moved out. I started realizing that maybe everything he said was for my own good. Not everything. Far from everything. Because like I said, there were times where he overstepped boundaries and so did I. But my dad cared and I cared for him the last few years of my dad's life I wouldn't have traded literally for anything and it was the same way with his dad as well so when I finally start getting close to my dad I realize that I have a chance to graduate high school early excuse me I realize I have a chance to graduate school early Um, mostly because I took his advice and I took my mom's advice you know apply yourself do what you need to do get those grades up I had enough credit saved up to record graduate a full year early so I took that chance and I did it and here I am thinking I have all this time in the world right so I graduate in, when did I graduate? 2010, (laughs) dear Jesus. Oh, Brandon Ferris reference there. Just so you guys don't think I stole that, I'm giving him credit on that, just for the record. I quote him all the time, he's one of my favorite people. Um, So I'm not trying to steal that from him, it's just a saying that he said that I use quite often. And I'm rambling now, so I'm sorry. So I graduated in May of 2010. At this point I'm living with my parents again and at this point I am best friends with my dad and I had other friends as well that I won't mention other than Jimmy because Jimmy's been on here a thousand times Um, but yeah. So while I'm thinking that I have all this time when I graduate I decided that I'm going to move down to Atlanta for a little bit with one of my former best friends and his family and um, for the record if if any of you guys are listening to this that are of his former family or even if he's listening to this guys I miss you so much I do and I hate the way things turned out and if any of you could reach out to me and let me know that everything's okay after all these years especially you dude that would mean a lot. But enough of that. I only lasted two weeks in Atlanta. Um, and it had nothing to do with the people that I moved in with. The people that I moved in with, they were amazing. They were amazing hosts. Um, they were a second family to me. They made me as comfortable as I could have been. But something kept on dragging me back to Tennessee. And what dragged me back to Tennessee was um in november so we're jumping from may of 2010 to november of 2010. we find out that my dad has a a knot on his side and um at first they just thought it was a cyst no big deal right And as I mentioned in the previous podcast, they took my dad up for surgery. They weren't going to fully put him to sleep for this. They gave him a pill that was supposed to, um, supposed to completely knock him out, but the pill did not affect him in any way. After like an hour, maybe, maybe an hour and a half of sitting there, dad realized that that, that pill just didn't have any effect on him at all. He was still in his sane mind. And he told the doctors that and the doctors was like hey you know what blessing in disguise let's go ahead and do a CT scan on you just to make sure that this is nothing too out of hand so I can't remember the exact time frame on this I do know at this point they did at some point take him in for a CT scan obviously and uh, when we got those results back they were definitely (laughs) if I can talk definitely less than favorable. Um, at this point they found two spots on his lungs and they were going to monitor those. Um, I don't know if this makes any sense to anybody out there. They told them that if those two spots on his lungs came back as warm, like feverish, that they had something to worry about. If the two spots came back as cold, like a cyst or, you know, just an abscess or, you know, whatever can happen to a lung, I don't fucking know. That we didn't have anything to worry about. Well, <laughs> you know, knowing the ending of the story, they came back as warm. Like, feverish. Yeah. So, at this point, they had more tests to run and everything. They were going to do a biopsy on him. Um, and... At this point in time, I was in a band called Finrare, Um, which means wolf in some other buttfuck language. I don't... Gaelic? I don't know, I think. <laughs> I don't know. But I was in the middle of band practice, as discussed in the other podcast. And I got a phone call that I didn't realize that I was getting. Well, I was in the middle of band practice for, I don't know, maybe like a good hour and a half, two hours. And I realized it's like multiple missed calls from my mom, which isn't normal at all. She's not like the overbearing, like, over-your-head mom, like, call me, call me, call me. Um, but I realized that she left a voice message. And uh, that voice message is what changed literally everything at this point. All that voice message explained was... um your dad had to be taken to the hospital get to UT hospital as quick as possible and I'm going to put a little bit of context behind that because I don't feel like I put enough into it the first podcast um you know give me two seconds real quick alright guys sorry about that I had to make a quick break so if the camera's angle the camera angle's a bit funky then whatever but um so yeah Um, I got the phone call letting me know that, uh, my dad had gotten worse and I needed to get to UT hospital, which is located in Knoxville, Tennessee, you know, preferably as soon as possible. Um, so give a little context behind that. My dad had been having serious migraines. And so we took him to a local clinic here called East Tennessee Medical Group. Um, They had told him that it was a severe sinus infection, which wasn't far-fetched at all. Um, You know, given his condition, um, you know, at this point we didn't even know that he had cancer. But, um, you know, given the whole cancer scare, if that is what he had, his immune system is gone. You know, for the most part. Um, So... That was a very believable statement. Um, They had put him on some antibiotics, seemed to help, but one faithful night, they didn't. And that's what that was about. Um, My dad's head was hurting to the point where it was physically making him sick. So, um, me and my best friend, who has been on this podcast, like I said several times, Jimmy, um, I owe everything to this guy. Um, he's been there through everything literally. Um, but to kind of put context behind that, <laughs> um Jimmy was there at the band practice before he was even our bass player. Jimmy drove my dumbass around before I even had a driver's license. Yeah, okay, if that tells you anything I was nineteen years old, didn't have a driver's license at this point. not because I didn't want to, but because there was a disagreement between me, and my dad yeah anyway Um, so Jimmy and I automatically leave I leave all my stuff at the drummer's house my guitar, my amp, my microphone literally everything and just leave it at the drummer's house and we speed off to UT Hospital Um, when Jimmy and I get there it is definitely not news that I was expecting um, they took me back in the, uh, the CT room where I guess like they, they get to view all the results of the CT scan. Cause they did perform a CT scan on him at that point. And at that point, my dad had nine tumors on the back of his head. It, it, it literally, I know I said this last episode, but I cannot stress this enough. It literally looked, looked like an Easter egg that had, you know, been dyed with random spots. And there is nine of them. So at this point, they obviously want to start to do biopsies. And they they do one on his lungs. And uh, obviously, um, that comes back as cancerous. And the thing that sucks about all this is before we realized he had any tumors on his head or anything like that, they told us that they would be able to take out that one section of his lung, he'd be totally fine. He'd be able to survive this. So we literally went from, hey, he can totally survive this, to holy crap, there's no way. Because he's eat up at this point. It has spread. So think about it this way. He went from a stage two, right? Went from a stage two, where it can be totally treatable, all the way to a stage four. Overnight. Overnight, man. Like, seriously, so quick. Because this is within a couple of weeks of the initial CT scan. That happened, you know, like where they found the ones on his lungs. Um, you know, the thing that kills me is like before we even found all this out, like a week before we were having Thanksgiving dinner, like nothing was wrong. I still have pictures of my dad during the last Thanksgiving dinner that he ever had with us up at my grandmother's house. Like nothing's wrong. But at this point, like I said, they do the biopsy on his lungs it obviously comes back as cancer and so they offered to do a biopsy on my dad's skull or brain better yet Um, but the, the big thing about a biopsy on the brain is they would have to peel back the scalp like they would have to cut the scalp peel it back and drill holes into his skull And then do the biopsy that way. And obviously my dad was like, nope, it's probably cancer. (laughs) So he went ahead and opted against that. Which out of all honesty, I would have done too. I honestly feel like most human beings would have went that route. Maybe not. I could be wrong. Just for the record. Um, So immediately they start him on radiation first. The main reason being is obviously that's where the most suspected cancer is at. Nine spots on the back of his brain, two spots on his lungs, one spot on his side. One spot on his side. We're looking at 12 spots altogether. So, they start the radiation on him. And they warned us before time that that radiation would cause him a lot of adverse side effects. And by adverse, they mean he would get really hateful and he wouldn't understand what he was saying. Well, here's the thing. I mentioned that, you know, my dad and I have the same kind of attitude. At that point, 19-year-old prick, hard-headed, at this point, 52-year-old, very set in his ways. Um, I didn't know how much more hateful he could get and not that I'm not trying to tarnish my dad's name. Okay. That's not what I'm trying to do, but he did have his moments like everybody else does. And if you say you don't have your moments, you're full of shit. Sorry, but you are. Um, but the amount that this messed with my dad, in my opinion, was on a whole new level. I'm not going to say that it was inhumane because this is what my dad chose the doctors did what my dad wanted him to do so they start radiation on his head and um, I'll give you an example of when the, the radiation affected him good freaking god I can't talk I'll give you an example of when the radiation affected him and that radiation affected me Um, the girl that I was with at the time, they did not get along at all. My dad and this chick, no, absolutely not. Uh, oil and water just did not mix. And once again, nothing against my dad, nothing against this chick. My dad was hard-headed, this chick was dick-headed, just like me. Nothing against either one of them, it's just the way they were at the time. Um... (laughs) so at one point I'm standing in my living room and I'm texting the girl that I'm with at the time and if this guy like if this tells you anything my dad would never say anything like this to me on any kind of mood that he was in normally I was sitting there texting and my dad was like who are you texting and I told him who it was and he was like you know what if you had any balls you would break up with her if you had any balls in you right now, as the son that I raised you, you would break up with her. So obviously, <laughs> I centered my chi- ooh. <laughs> sorry, I hit my microphone. Obviously, I centered my chi at that point and walked outside because I knew that it was the radiation talking, not my dad. Because even on my dad's worst day, he would never say anything like that to me. So, um, treatments go on. It gets to the point to where, um, he has a really bad day. There was actually one day right after, radi- the, 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 right after the radiation that, Jesus, sorry, a lot of indigestion, just like the first episode. Um, but, um, yeah, there was one point where I seriously thought he was just going to die right after the radiation because we had this fireplace in our old house and dad like his favorite place in the entire house was that fireplace and my dad had this recliner that my mom no that my brother and his wife had bought because they were living with us at the time just trying to help manage everything and um shout out to them too amazing people but we had taken his recliner and put it in front of the fireplace and all my dad did literally from what i remember i could be completely wrong Um, but from what I remember for almost 24 hours straight, the only thing my dad did was sit in that recliner, stare at that fireplace. Yeah. But then all of a sudden we started getting brighter days where dad was back to his old self minus losing hair. Um, and then they decided to put a port on his chest where they could start giving him chemo and um i don't know obviously there's a lot of families out there that have experienced this um, but i'm still going to go into detail for the few that haven't um so there were two different chemos that they gave my dad the one could be through a regular clear tube the other had to be through a blue tube and if this tells you how strong that second chemo was uh, my mom asked why they had to switch out tubes um the nurse inform my mom at that point that if they would like have not switched out tubes that that second chemo would have eaten through that clear tube because it was so strong i want you to like put that in perspective for a moment that they had to switch tubes because the second chemo would have eaten through the normal tube Think about what that's doing to his insides. I don't care what anyone says. Cancer is a. Mm, you know what? Nope. Not going to get. You know what? Fuck it. <laughs> I had a really quick change of heart. Um, cancer is a very, very, very expensive business to be in. It doesn't matter if it's going to kill somebody or not. They're still paying for it. And that's what happened with Dad. If you're a nurse out there, do your job, dude. Do you do what you're told to do. If you're a doctor, do the same. But when it comes to like the pharmaceutical side of things, get your shit together and quit killing people. Because my dad was one of the people that you killed instead of saving. I'm not sorry. Um So in the midst of all this, my dad started having really bad pains in his legs. And at this point, my mom was massaging his legs just to try to make them feel a little bit better. But it got so bad to the point that we had to take him into UT hospital again. And they told us that from where he had been bedridden, that he had blood clots in his legs. Luckily, mom didn't dislodge any of those when she was massaging his legs trying to help him. Um, so he was in the hospital for at least a couple of weeks at that point, And I remember sitting in the hospital room with hospital food in front of me on a damn tray. And I remember sitting there crying my eyes out. Because I realized how bad dad is really getting. Even if no one else saw it. I saw it. And he told me to stop. Because no matter what happened. He was going to be okay. Um, That's kind of a pivotal point for me mentally. Because I took that the wrong way. The thing is my dad is a spiritual guy. Um, as I may have may not have I don't don't know Uh, my dad raised me in church he was a Pentecostal preacher so I thought that dad thought that he was going to be okay he was going to make it through this so he had faith so I had faith I didn't think he was going to die stage 4 cancer please my dad was 6 foot 2 could bench press his own body weight could bench press his own body weight Back in his heyday when he was in high school and he played football, he could run a football field in 11 seconds flat. One into the other. Can't take him down. He's way too tough. He wasn't chubby like me. <laughs> this guy was fit. Like, seriously. Super fit. Freaking six pack, freaking pecs. Had freaking crazy biceps and st- even even when he was cancer ridden, this guy was still freaking ripped. No way this can take this guy down. Seriously. Even with all my speech impediments in the middle of this freaking podcast. Can't take him down. So he gets out of the hospital. Um, so everything between at this point and April... Of 2011 is a blur to me because I was too busy living my own life. And I, yeah, in some ways I feel guilty for that, in other ways I don't. I was young, I was trying to live that rock star life. We had a tour lined up, we had a promoting label lined up that turned out to be a fraud. We didn't know that at the time, obviously. Obviously. So. At this point I wasn't a janitor anymore. I had cleaned up my life. <laughs> I had graduated to the world of the garden center at Walmart on 411 in South Knoxville. And I wasn't getting paid once a month anymore for the record. I was getting paid every two weeks. Like a real adult. Making eight seventy-five an hour. Doing the grind 32 hours a week, no health insurance. I had the life, <laughs> yeah. Um, so kind of fast forward to that. Um, obviously, April 2011. If you guys do any research, like if you guys Google April 2011, Knoxville, Tennessee. I guarantee you, one of the like first thing that pops up will be the Hellstorm. Because that was a catastrophic Hellstorm, man. Oh my god, it was insane. We had skylights busting out in Walmart. We had cars destroyed. Uh, we had a skylight at my old house. I just knew when I got there it was going to be destroyed. But hey, somehow <laughs> it survived. It leaked just a little bit, but it survived. <laughs> um, destroyed Jimmy's Ford Tempo, though. Jimmy, I'm sorry about that car to this day. But hey, both of us worked at Walmart, so we got to carpool home, man. Save some gas. <laughs> oh, man. Um, So, let's go ahead and fast forward just the way bit, okay? Um, Let's go to Dad's birthday. May 3rd, 2011. 53 years old. We had a party for him. The only time... His family... Not us. Okay, let me go ahead and clarify that. Not me, my mom, my brother. I'm talking about his side of the family. Aunts, uncles, brothers. With with the exception of a few. Okay, I'm not going to say their names. You know who you are. With the exception of the few. This is the only time that they ever had anything to do with him. Was when they realized he was sick. And they could have something to do with them so they could look like the golden people. You know who the good ones are, you know who the bad ones are. And you should still feel ashamed because you missed out on a great person. Back to happy face now. We threw a party for him, it was great. All of his brothers showed up, his cousins, his aunts, everybody showed up. Big surprise, he's dying, let's go support him and be good people. I have my animosity towards that I'll let that go now but I could not be more grateful that those people showed up because whether you hated my dad and you were in his family or whether you loved him and you were in his family at that point you made him happy and that's all that I care about any animosity that I hold against you is still there any animosity that I hold against you is justifiable because you know what you've done. Okay, let's move on. But yeah, great birthday party. A great, great birthday party. Really was. Happiest, one of the happiest moments to ever seen my dad. He's sitting there, radiation ridden, chemo ridden, no hair, no strength in his legs, sitting there in a recliner, having to have his food brought to him, and he's still smiling because he had his family around him, the family that finally accepted him when they didn't need their house painted. Ooh, struck a chord there, didn't I? And if you're listening to this, I hope and pray to God I struck a chord. If you're a part of his family and you realize what I said, ooh, I hope, I freaking hope that I struck a chord there because the only time most of you had anything to do with him is when you needed him to paint your house. Because that's what he did for a living. And he'd do it for free. Okay, let's move on. Now. Let's go ahead and fast forward just a little bit. And I'll keep on saying that, but just a little bit more. Um, I'm at Walmart. That lovely job. And... I, uh, I'm i in a meeting with a manager, which literally never happens, okay? I was like a grub of Walmart, okay? Lowest of low, lowest of paid. But for some reason, my manager was like, hey, do you want to go to a meeting with me? And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. I want to feel important. And I get to stop being outside in 80-degree weather for a little bit. So I went in this meeting with him. And I ended up getting this phone call from my mom. And I ended up just like ignoring it. Because I was in the middle of this meeting. And um, man just like last time in band practice. The calls just keep on coming. And keep on coming. And keep on coming until finally she leaves me a voicemail. And I knew right then that something was going on. And this is a moment. As a 19 year old, I you know, I, I cannot get out of my head. That one moment when I was nineteen, when I got out of that meeting and I checked my text message, and it was from my mom, and she was frantic and she was crying, and all she could say was, Call me back, your dad has two weeks. So I I listened to that voice message, automatically call my mom. And she's like, hey, is there any way you can get home? You know, explain to your managers what's going on. And, you know, I don't have a license, so I have to wait for somebody to get me. But, yeah, like, obviously, I hang up with my mom. I go speak with my managers. They're like, hey, get out of here. And um, while I'm waiting for my sister-in-law, who at this point is one of my biggest confidants and is still one of my biggest confidants. Dude, I won't see your name but I love you she comes to get me but while I'm waiting for her there's a guy and he'll never listen to this like not in a million years but it's this guy named Carl and Carl was a merry old soul Um, for whatever reason he never knew my real name he just called me young blood because I was the newest guy in the garden center and I felt official at that point they wouldn't let me put young blood on my name tag for obvious reasons but I wanted to um, he's like, what's wrong, young blood? Because I was sitting there on the freaking curb, crying my eyes out. And I told him what was going on. He's like, young blood, let me tell you what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to pray. So I stood up, uh, joined hands with Carl. One of the nicest people, most uh, misunderstood people that I'd ever met in my life. And he prayed with me. And by the time we got done praying, my sister-in-law pulled up. She took me home. And at this point, it was in my brother's beaten-up Chevrolet Malibu. Because <laughs> the hellstorm came by. And it looked like someone had just poured a bucket of like golf balls on top of his car. From the Sears Tower. <laughs> but yeah, we got out of there. And um, the first thing that happened was my dad asked me to come in and he said he, ha- he had a lot to talk to me about and um, for the record this was the last time I ever got to talk to my dad um, he pulled me in the room he told me to shut the door he asked me to sit down beside him on his bed and he was like hey Um, obviously things aren't looking good and obviously we don't have the best relationship, you know, prior to all this. And, um, he's like, I want you to know that I'm proud of you. Everything you've done musically, there's not a doubt in my mind that you'll be something one day obviously that didn't happen I'm still 28 maybe that music career will eventually take off but that's what my dad told me there's not a doubt in my mind that one day you'll make something of yourself in music or whatever you try you'll make something of yourself and I was like thank you dad that means a lot Um, I know you've forgiven me for everything that I've done I forgive you for everything that you've done. And I gave him a big hug. Told him how much I loved him. And after I got done with that, he was like, hey, get out send your brother in. (laughs) Not too sure what he said to my brother. Um, I've never asked and I will not ask. But obviously he said something to him. so fast forward a little bit um the chick that i was with at the time i was like hey he's dying we've been together since ninth grade we're both graduated now can we please get married in front of him in his room before he passes away and um she agreed reluctantly but she agreed and the reason why i say reluctantly is i believe at first she didn't want to but as much as and my dad disliked each other I honestly do believe that she did it just to make my dad mad right before he passed away just one more time um the funny part behind that is my mom told me that after we walked out of his room my dad was like I don't give it a year (laughs) oh and he was right (laughs) We and this chick, we've been together since, like, ninth grade. Um, 2007. Um, at this point, it's 2011. Yeah, it's been four years. Yeah, I did the math on my fingers. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> I went to Heritage. Give me a break. Yeah. so we got married in front of him. And a little bit of a uh, further bit of comic relief here is the next morning my dad got so mad at my mom because my girlfriend walked out of my room now wife walked out of my room he's like hey why does she stay the night they're not married The cancer had started taking over. He was talking out of his head. He didn't understand anything at this point. And my mom was like, yeah, they got married yesterday. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess that makes it all right. So my dad totally didn't even remember us getting married. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, literally the day after. And this is where things start getting graphic, guys. So once again, I'm going to tell you, don't listen to this part if you can't take it. Seriously. The day after all that, um, my dad starts hitting rock bottom at that point. Uh, my dad is so physically weak that when my mom tries to sit him up in bed to give him his medicine, he just slumps back over. He doesn't have the strength to hold his own torso up at this point. Anytime he goes to the bathroom, whether it's to pee, whether it's to take a shit, it's blood. That's all it is is blood. His organs are shutting down one by one. Nothing but blood, guys. Um, At this point, hospice comes in. And I'll I'll never forget this as long as I live. And I I know I briefly touched on this. And I will say the same thing that I said in the other podcast. My mom asked a nurse, how long until, until the cancer kills my dad? The nurse said, the cancer isn't going to kill him. The pain meds that you're giving him are going to kill him. Yeah. And, you know, to this day, my mom still feels guilty about all that. Um, Until today, I didn't know this, but when my mom gave him one of his last doses of pain medicine, when he was coherent, he grabbed my mom by the shirt and brought her down. He's like, hey, don't let anyone else give me pain medicine because no one knows how to measure it out like you do, and I'm afraid they're going to kill me. that was right before the nurse told her that. So, um, on the very, very slight off chance that um, this nurse ever hears this podcast, um, fuck you. You weren't even the hospice nurse. You were there for a visit. You had no right, no right to tell my mom that. You destroyed someone's mental stability at that point. And she has never forgiven herself for that. Someone that is completely innocent. Someone that did not take somebody's life. You could have let her be ignorant to that. And you took that ignorance away from her. And you ruined a part of her life. And you should feel ashamed. And I hope that you do. So. Back to the next day. Not really back to Ford. Yeah, fast-forwarding to the next day. Um, I'm laying in bed with my wife at the time. And my mom flings my door open. And she's like, hey, um, your dad is unresponsive. You need to get in here now. And um, for anybody who has never experienced this and you're still listening at this point, because we're like forty ma- 48 minutes in, if I can freaking talk. um. I'm going to explain to you what it sounds like when someone's lungs are filling with fluid and they're getting ready to pass away. They get what's called the death rattle. And literally every single time my dad took a breath it sounded like somebody kicking an empty tin can down a sidewalk. Now go ahead and get like like that sound in your head, you know it's the ting ting ting, you know know what it sounds like. If you grew up in the 90's you definitely know what it sounds like. But that's what it sounded like. Just an empty tin can going down a sidewalk. Every time he took a breath. And he was unresponsive. And all the techniques that they gave us to try to wake him up, they weren't working. The, one of the hospice nurses that actually knew how to do their job and not traumatize the freaking wife of the patient. They told her to squeeze his fingernails. Right, like the tip of his fingers where the fingernails are Um, they told her to gently squeeze those sometimes that would bring somebody out of that comatose state did not work Um, one of the other methods was they told her to take the first row of knuckles on her fingers and rub them up and down his sternum and sometimes that would wake up a comatose patient didn't work there's only two methods that they gave us obviously at that point the only two methods that they really had they worked with what they had and um, I commend them for that so that same afternoon May 27th 2011 I'm sitting in my living room watching spongebob with my best friend my cousin my cousin's husband and my cousin's two kids because my aunt left them there while my dad was passing away just because my mom wouldn't give her my dad's pain meds yeah calling you out too dude calling you out too and if you listen to this and you get to the end of this and you hear that oh my god i hope you feel ashamed You showed up to my house while my dad was passing away and you asked my mom to sell you my dad's pain meds and you got mad when she said no so you left your daughter, your daughter's husband and their two kids with us to look after while my dad was passing away. I feel no sympathy for you and never will. But I was watching Spongebob with all that. And my grandmother comes running out of my dad's room. And she said, he's gone. He's gone. So me and my best friend, Jimmy, we run into his room. And when I run in there, I realize that his oxygen mask is still on. And I see his chest move. He's not gone yet. He is not gone yet at this point. At that point, I removed my dad's oxygen mask, and I held his hand, and I laid next to him, and I saw his chest move one more time while I held his hand in my hand, and while my best friend held my dad's leg in his hand at the foot of the bed. And my dad took his last breath. So from November of 2010 up until May 27th, 2011, my dad fought an amazing battle. He went through radiation, he went through blood clots, he went through chemo, he lost his hair, he lost his mind. But he never lost an ounce of my respect through that entire ordeal. And I still love him to this day. He is still, even though he's gone, he is still one of my best friends to this day. Because I still talk to him every night. It's obviously not in a journal, as I described in one of the other podcasts. But I do talk to him every night. And he he keeps me on the right path. Him and my mom. They still work together even though my mom has no clue. They still work together in keeping me sane. Between my mom, my dad, my girlfriend Jessica, my brother, Ernie, my sister in law, screw it, I'm gonna say her name, Kimberly and my two nieces that I will not say their names. That is my glue. And I understand that eventually that glue is gonna start being peeled away. But I'm prepared this time. I know what to expect. Even if it's not cancer, I still know what to expect around the corner. And guys if you're going through a similar situation right now I'm not gonna tell you that it doesn't suck because it does this is going to be such a trying time let's go ahead and forget about the freaking virus and stuff man okay yeah that's obviously having a big impact on everybody let's go ahead and single out on this one disease that has been killing everybody for years if you're going through that just know that things eventually even themselves out I was a wreck all the way from 2011 up until this past year of 2020. It took me that long to accept everything that happened to me with my dad's death. It took me that long to get to the point to where every time I think about him I don't have a mental breakdown. But closure may not be around the corner but it's definitely down the road. I attempted suicide. I got into alcoholism because of all this. I eventually straightened everything out. Everything brightened back up, and everything came into perspective. I'm not gonna tell you it gets easier. Because it, I don't wanna. Hmm. Okay, I'm just gonna say it. Every, nothing gets easier when it comes to this okay The thing is it gets to where you don't think about it every day. That's not the only thing that enters into your mind once somebody's gone eventually. You get to the point where you have a day where you realize oh man I didn't I didn't think about this I didn't have a nervous breakdown because of this. You get to the point where you manage. And you get to the point where you live. And that's the best advice that I can give you. Sunshine may not be around the corner, but it's down the road. And if you can make it down the road to the point where your life gets a little bit brighter You're on a full sprint to where you need to be. Quote of this episode, even though it's not on the board. I don't even know who said it, so I'm going to say unknown. Um, If you guys know, you can let me know. Um, But given the situation of this podcast, the quote is, I wish cancer would get cancer and die. I'm not going to give any plugs here. I'm not going to tell you where you can find us or any bullshit like that. This isn't what that episode's is about. Um, this is just a story that I wanted to share and a story that I felt like needed to be shared. There's not going to be any outro music. There's not going to be anything like that. Um, I'm just going to leave you guys with that. Sunshine may not be around the corner. But it's right down the road. Thank you guys for listening if you made it this far. And if you're out there and you are going through this. I wish you the best of luck on that. Because it's not an easy road. But it's definitely a road that can be traveled. Thanks guys. Have a good night.